Hey, CA Church, feels like it has been forever. We haven't met together in so long. And also, obviously, I've entered this brand new season of fatherhood. We're in my daughter's nursery right now. And this is Imogen Bright Daily. Uh, and uh, she is just about five weeks old right now. I uh, was born on July 16th, 2.54 p.m., in our home in Port Moody, which is really cool. Uh, she was a pretty big baby, and uh, but yet this season has been so exciting and yet so challenging, as, as many of you parents know, and it's just been an absolute joy to have her in our life. And so I wanted you to meet her before we went any further into this message. I'm gonna hand her off now to my wife, Jessica, and then we are gonna dig into the message. Thank you, Jessica. Awesome. Well, if you haven't quite gathered it yet, today's topic is this, God is Father. I've had the beautiful privilege to gain insight into this topic through becoming a father in these past weeks. And although I'm sure the revelations of what it means to be a dad will only expand, I thought I would share with you some of my thoughts and observations through becoming a dad of what it's taught me about who God the Father is. Today's sermon is unapologetically full of illustrations surrounding my daughter and my new life as a dad. The other pastors have gotten to do it for years, so it's my turn to catch up. As I've experienced fatherhood, it's led me to the realization that becoming an earthly father reveals our need for our heavenly father. Our big idea for us today is this, our earthly father reveals our need for our heavenly father. No matter how great or how poor our earthly fathers were, they reveal our heavenly father, both in their strengths, which reveal God, and their weaknesses, which show our need for God. And so in light of that, there's a few things I want to remind us about uh, this morning, this evening, whenever it is that you're watching it, that God the Father is a good heavenly Father. The first is this, is that our Father has prepared a place for us. See, the first thing that Jessica and I did, started to do when we found out that Amy was coming and joining us Earthside, is we started to prepare a place for her, uh, prepare a room for her, a room like this that was tailor-made for her. Thought and prayer, paint chips and Pinterest boards. We removed a bed that was in here. There was a bookshelf. There used to be a small fish tank back here, a picture on the wall, a piano, a desk, a giant chest. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff in here. And over the months that went by, Jessica and I started thinning down the room, donating and rehoming, discarding anything that didn't spark joy until it was a blank canvas. In fact, there was nothing in this room uh, that was here before. It's, it's all gone. And we began to create a place that was specifically created for her and her needs. The green wall to resemble the forest. There were some dusty rose highlights for that feminine touch. Natural wood, gold trim, because she's royalty to us. Stuffies and mirrors and lighting. All to create a space that was hers. And as I was painting and building and hanging, there was a verse that came to mind that reminded me that God is preparing a room, a place for us. Here's what it says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. It's found in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 4 where Jesus is talking about how he prepared, he's preparing a place for you in the Father's house. He's getting a space ready, especially for you. He is choosing the furniture. He's written your name on the wall. It's for you. 
And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Wow, isn't that good news right now in times that just feel so uncertain, so fearful, uh, and when many of us maybe are afraid that we're going to face our end. And yet Jesus says, there is a space for you, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. Jesus' words here, he says, and when everything is ready, I'll come and get you. And this leads us to our second point. Our Father chose and loves you. As I was painting and setting up, I remember just this feeling of expectancy to meet this girl. Those long nine months of waiting for my daughter's arrival, counting down the days, choosing a name, dreaming about what her life would be like. So excited to meet her and know her, choosing her before her arrival, choosing to be her dad, to care for her, uh, and, and reading books, parenting books, and praying prayers. Do you know that God was waiting on the edge of his seat to meet you? He knew you before creation came to be. He had plans for you before there was time. I get the sense of excitement the father has when a little one arrives here earthside that he has big plans for. This is possible because God is infinite and eternal. Since he knew you before the beginning of time, there is no wondering about who you're going to be. He knew it all, every wonderful quality, everything about you. But he also knows the ways you would fail, mess up, reject him, and yet, get this, he chose you. He actively decided knowing everything that you would be his child. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because he has united us with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. See, even before the foundation of the world, he chose you and adopted you into his family. Before you had done a single thing right, that cute little smile or that little giggle, our father chose you. I remember uh, a time when I was actually in Turkey with Pastor Mark, and uh, he was teaching us. We were going to the ancient cities, and one of those cities we went to was called Ephesus. At one point, uh, we're just driving to the city. We haven't even entered yet. And Pastor Mark says, hey, pull over, pull over the bus right now. We get out of the bus and uh, he points at just some ruins in just a faraway distance. We're like, okay, that's kind of cool, but we wanted to see the city of Ephesus. And he said, no, those are the gates. Those are the gates of Ephesus. See, what would happen in ancient cities is that often outside of the gates of a city, they would put trash and, and just stuff they didn't want. And it was unfortunate, but true, that in those times for various and hard reasons, when families would have children that they didn't want, they would also bring them to the gates and abandon them there. It was in light of this fact, this, this horrible truth, let's be honest, that Paul in that time writes this letter to the people in Ephesus. And it kind of gives you a new lens as we read it one more time. All praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. This is the part I want to highlight. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy, that is to be set apart, and without fault in his eyes. See, those kids that were abandoned at the gate of Ephesus, they may have had fault in their parents' eyes for various and, and hard reasons. But God is making a statement. 
He's making a statement in this text. He's saying, I choose you. I love you. To me, you are holy. You are set apart without fault. And we have great faults, and maybe some of us, we feel unlovable. But because you are in Christ, in the eyes of God, you are without fault. See, your faults don't discourage God from choosing you to be part of his family. Some of you have earthly parents who maybe have rejected you. Maybe you have an earthly father who is far away. And in light of everything that you faced, I want to tell you today, right now, that God chose you and loved you. He adopted you and brought you into his family before you did anything right. He knew it all, and yet he chose you. And I love it says this, he, he chose us and he also loved us. He loved us. And as I've gotten to know my daughter, Imogen, it's amazing. I thought I understood love before. But there's this otherworldly kind of love that has come into my heart. And I found myself thinking this, man, if, if I love her this much, how much more does our heavenly father love us? This leads us to our, our third point, and that is this, is that God is not anxious. God is not anxious. I'll be honest, over the last few weeks, I've been a little bit anxious in the midst of just wondering, how do I do this dad thing, changing diapers and, and uh, putting clo- on clothes and, and just trying to seek her out and make sure, oh man, are you okay? Do you have everything you need? And like I said, if I'm honest, anxiety has kind of come over me. I began asking questions. Has she ate enough? Has she slept enough? Is she developing properly? Are you stimulated enough? And this anxiety is carried over into the night. As some of you know, I'm a pretty full-on sleepwalker. And in these last few weeks, almost every night I've gotten up, I began searching through the blankets. Uh, even one, at one point, searching through a drawer full of hats, uh, believing that she was stuck in there. And it's terrifying. And gosh, my poor wife, I feel so bad. She's already dealing with a newborn and now an anxious sleepwalking husband. Don't worry, I am getting checked out finally <laughs> after all these years. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll figure that out. But you know, it was funny in the midst of that anxiety, I uh, just was sitting down, spending some time with God. And I just asked God this question, God, how do you do this? You don't just have one kid, you've got billions of children. And I felt like in that moment, there was just this little whisper in my heart, Cam, I'm not anxious. It made me think of that text where uh, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He says, he says, don't be worried. Don't be anxious because your heavenly father, uh, your heavenly father is going to take care of you. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry for itself. And that's found in Matthew chapter 6. See, many of you have heard this text before and you're like, okay, this is kind of old news. But there was a new kind of insight that I had as I was reading that text. The reason why we can be people who don't have to worry, who don't have to be anxious, is because we have a God who is not worried, who is not anxious. You see, he is a God of peace. Our God isn't worried. There's this kind of photo op location in Vancouver down by Science World. And uh, as you're walking along the shoreline there, there's kind of this uh, nautical theme thing. And there's a big sign that says, should I be worried? (laughs) Interesting questions in the times that we're facing, am I right? 
uh, times where there's COVID-19 and racial injustice and protests and rioting and everything that just happened in Lebanon, the upcoming American elections. Maybe you're considering questions even like, will I lose my job? Will I get my job back? Will my kids go to, the, go to school in the fall? Will my family be safe? Is there gonna be a second wave? Should I be worried? You'll see in this picture of Jessica, she's kind of laughing at the question because I think for many of us, there would almost be a resounding, yes, <laughs> I should be worried. There is a lot that is going on in the world, but you know what's interesting? If we were to ask God that question, should we be worried? He would give a resounding no. God is not worried. He is not anxious. God is sovereign. Like he's not sitting up in heaven right now like, quickly, Michael, go over there. Gabriel, help me with that. Oh, don't do that. Wow, the beach is super full today. Jesus, did you hear the news? What are we gonna do now? God our Father isn't anxious. He provides our every need. He will provide. He will take care of us. And why I'm sharing this with you is that this truth has changed my posture lately. <sighs> Just kind of breathe out. Should I be worried? Yeah, maybe there's a lot of stuff going on in my world right now, but the answer, because I know who my heavenly father is, no, I can trust him. I can trust him. You know, God isn't worried, and, and our fourth point is this, he's also not in a hurry. Something I've been learning about during this pandemic and it was solidified recently in becoming a dad is just this idea of slowing down. Many of the days, the last few weeks have felt long and yet I had nowhere to be. I could just relax and spend time with my daughter. It could be five in the morning, hours could pass by before she needed mom and we would just hang out and I would pray and she would nap and we'd make faces at each other and we could just sit there and hang out and bounce on the bouncy ball. <laughs> Our Jesus, he, Jesus, he was the best at this. He just was never in a hurry. In the Bible, we see Jesus in the midst of some pretty intense years of ministry, and yet we'd see him stopping and spending time with the Father in prayer and solitude. Would you slow down and spend time with your Father? He isn't busy. He's not in a hurry. See, our busyness gets in, in the way of us spending time with the Father, and John Mark Homer recently penned these words regarding hurry and what it does to us. Here's what he says. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. Slowing down to spend time with our God, our not in a hurry God, frees us from the things that ultimately won't fulfill us. So could I encourage you? Slow down and spend time with your heavenly father. He's not in a hurry. I wanna conclude with this point. Our Father wants us to love Him back. One of the most painful questions that have crossed my mind over the last few weeks as I think about my daughter and I look at her is, will she love me back? Will she love me? After all the hard work and the diapers and the soccer games and daddy-daughter dates, will she love me willingly? 
without obligation, not just because I'm dad, uh, but because she genuinely loves me. I know our father is not anxious or worried. He knows the end. He knows the answer to that question. But I do think one of the deepest desires of God's plan and heart for you is this, that you would love him back. I wonder today, today in light of like the beautiful truths of who the father is, whether you would choose to love him back. Consider for a moment what we've just talked about. He's prepared a place for you. Would you join him? He chose you. Would you choose him back? He isn't worried. Would you trust him? He isn't in a hurry. Would you spend time with him? He loves you just unconditionally. Would you love him back? See, our earthly fathers reveal our need for the heavenly father. Do you see it? And maybe today for the first time, or maybe for some of you the hundredth time, maybe I could encourage you to just say out loud with me on the count of three, just, Father, I love you. It's just a response of your heart today to just say, God, I, I, I want to love you back. And so I, maybe you want to do that out loud or just in your heart, but on the count of three, let's just say that together. One, two, three. Father, I love you. Would that be our short prayer as we conclude today? As you consider your heavenly Father, that he is good, that he cares for you, that he is Father. That is who he is.